This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello and welcome everyone to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My name is Christopher Bishop. I'm the host and I'm also the uh, master of ceremonies for the Inside Quantum Technology events. My guest today is Christopher Zavoy, the CEO and founder of Zapata Computing. Christopher and I actually met in person, imagine that, in Boston about a year and a half ago at the first domestic Inside Quantum Technology event. This was before the pandemic changed everything in terms of how we interact. We had a great conversation, talked about a range of topics, not the least of which was music. For those of you who don't know, Christopher is a bass player like me. So Christopher is also a published scholar in medicine, biochemistry, and computer science, and his research and business interests over the years have focused on the intersection of machine learning, biology, and chemistry. I also have to mention that Christopher sat in and played at a session with Lionel Hampton while he was in college and also got a scholarship to Berklee College of Music in Boston. His company, Zapata Computing, builds quantum-ready applications for enterprise deployment through a flagship product called Orchestra. It's the only workflow-based tool set for enterprise quantum computing. Zapata has pioneered a new quantum classical development and deployment paradigm that focuses on a range of use cases, including machine learning, optimization, and simulation. Zapata partners closely with hardware providers across the quantum ecosystem, including Amazon, D-Wave, Google, Honeywell, IBM, INQ, Microsoft, and Rigetti. Christopher, very warm welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. So I always like to start the podcast by asking each guest to share a bit about their quantum journey, uh, so our listeners have a sense of what you did before you started Zapata Computing. I especially like to use this insight to not only inform our listeners about who you are, but more broadly to inspire the emerging quantum workforce. So tell me a bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Where you went to school? What you studied? What kinds of roles you were involved in prior to founding Zapata? What drove you to get involved in quantum computing? And maybe at the end, uh, share with me who your favorite bass player is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, that should be easy. Okay. Um, or maybe not. Okay. You got me thinking here. Um, okay. So uh, I grew up in uh, in Rhode Island, born and raised in Rhode Island. Uh, and uh, in high school, I I, uh, I I was actually from a very young age. I, I played flute and uh, flute and piccolo, and uh, that was how I started in in, in music. Uh, but when I got to high school, it suddenly became uh, very uncool to be a male flute player. Right, it was all girls. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, especially at the boys' school that I went to. Oh, forever. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't compatible. <laughs> yeah, really. So, like, okay, uh, what, uh, what, what instrument would be uh, uh, most unlike right. the flute? Right, uh, was my next move, and uh, so I, I, I thought, well, maybe drums. But all my, all my family were drummers, so huh, I wow. wanted something different. Uh, yeah. yeah, my cousin at the time was at Berkeley studying wow. performance in, in, in drums. And cool. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a drummer like the rest of my family. So I, I, I said, well, what about bass? And uh, yeah. I picked it up. I picked it up over a summer, actually, wow. between the freshman and sophomore year. 
And for me, I was like, wow, uh, most of these lines are, you know, quarter notes. Wow, this is a lot easier than, you know, 30 second notes on flute. Yeah, it's right. easy, yeah, fingering wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so wow. that's what I did. Uh, I picked it, picked it up because I thought it would be easier and cooler. And yep. uh, it yep. turned out to be a great yep. instrument, though. And I really started to love and, and you know, people don't listen to bass lines for the yeah. most part. Uh, oh, yeah. because it's supposed to be there and you miss it when it's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get really cool and really melodic, particularly in jazz. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so that's really why I got into that. And uh, I took a lot of even music theory. And my my uh, my instructor in, in high school was uh, Rich Price, who uh, played second book, uh, so solo book for the Lionel Hampton Orchestra. Really? Wow. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a massive studio player. Uh, wow. And uh, he was really my mentor, um, taught my mm-hmm. music theory and, and, and pretty advanced stuff um, at a young wow. age. And so my plan actually was to uh, go, I, uh, as you said, I won a performance scholarship uh, to go to go to Berkeley. And I kind of wanted to go on, down that track. Um, I was also interested in engineering, science, that kind of stuff. I, you know, I had pretty good, pretty good math uh, and, and whatnot. But I, I really got um, into music and thought that's what I want to do. But my my father particularly didn't think that was a good business plan. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, even with some tuition money paid, he didn't think it was a good idea to pay my room and board to live in Boston. So uh, that made that decision a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so oh, well. it became, you know, the typical pre-med or pre-law, which do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brother. Wow. So I guess you could say, you know, in a way I was a, a frustrated musician, but um, throughout college, I went to the University of Rhode Island. Um, I gigged around. I did the weddings, bar mitzvah kind of yeah. circuit and, uh, and got to play at some clubs, played up with uh, my cousin up in Boston a few times and, and whatever. But, uh, but, but, you know, semi-pro type of stuff, never really broke out uh, because I was, you know, a student. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that kind of went that way uh, until I got to actually after uh, during my internship in college out in Japan, uh, Lionel Hampton's orchestra, orchestra was uh, was touring and, uh, <laughs> wow. and Rich, Rich was their their second uh, book player. You know, so really? That was my end. So they gave me a front row seat and they said, hey, you want to come up and do a couple standards with us? Wow. So that said, I, know, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, what's fun. And the Blue Note's a, a cool place, as you know, the, the, the bands that come through there and whatnot. Yeah. Venue, so. Oh, what uh, fun, fun, man. Yeah. So, but I ended up not doing that. I ended up doing a, a pre-med thing uh, at, at, at URI. And then eventually, after that um, stint in Japan, I got hooked to, to Japan. And Fukuoka particularly, it's a great town. Uh, and I ended up uh, going back and uh, getting my uh, my PhD in biophysics, actually. Mm. Oh, my uh, goodness. Uh, in immunology. Um, and, uh, I guess you could say that was my first, uh, step into quantum in a way, because we were doing molecular dynamics and quantum chemistry on the, uh, molecules that are involved in immune reactions. And wow. so, yeah, that was my first time doing, you know, computational chemistry and that kind of stuff and yeah. you know, having a biophysics background. Some people would say almost physics or not really physics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, oh, uh, but, but really that was, that was the, the angle that I came in on it, uh, to learn about what, you know, quantum was all about. And I had basic quantum mechanics and that kind of stuff, stuff in my background. So, uh, then, uh, uh, went off and, and, uh, so, uh, got more into the bioinformatics side of things, uh, and, uh, started doing, um, sequence analysis work, uh, before there was a word bioinformatics. That's what I was doing. 
Really? Uh, uh, Baba Kojad, an, uh, another uh, student out there in Japan, and myself, we, we came up with a, a scheme to use an agent-oriented architecture uh, to do natural language understanding. Uh, and this became the uh, AOSA, which is uh, the, the really the underlying technology used to develop uh, Siri, Siri's right. natural language capability. So wow. that was, uh, oh, and that, that became a company. That became a, a company, Dejima, that got involved in the Kalo project that eventually became uh, Siri, the company. Uh, so yeah, roundabout way, uh, that's how I got into entrepreneurship and, and technology. And, uh, and, and then from there, I, I went back to Japan and started a company uh, doing, using Bayesian uh, machine learning techniques uh, to look at uh, drug mechanism of action. And that became uh, Gene Networks International, uh, GNI, that I took public in Japan on the Tokyo Stock Exchange back in 2007. Uh, then I came back to the States and I ended up uh, doing a bunch of things, but I ended up working uh, eventually for Nissan and, and working on uh, their uh, cloud architecture uh, and uh, also all, all of enterprise architecture for for new technologies and brought in their first Hadoop stack, for example, and, and did big data there for things like autonomous driving and predictive maintenance and, and that kind of stuff, which was kind of an aside, but the math is kind of the same as any other analytic machine learning. So um, that was kind of cool uh, as a detour. And in that, uh, through that uh, work, um, eventually I uh, met some people wanting to do machine learning applied to uh, chemistry for OLED screens uh, from my alma mater back in Japan. And we spun that company out. Alan Asparagushik at Harvard was working on the same stuff. And he had uh, money from Samsung to, to, to do some of the same work. And he had some really good machine learning uh, techniques to apply to the exact work that we were doing. Um, and so uh, I flew over and met him. And uh, we basically became co-founders of, of, of that company as well. That's how we started working together. And then when I was about to leave uh, that company, I was flying over to Japan like twice a month <laughs> from oh Logan. Goodness. Uh, not Also not a tenable business model for me and my family. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, that ran its course. And I said, you know, well, I'm, uh, I'm available now. Um, he said, well, 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 that's terrible because uh, 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 I, I've got options in that company. <laughs> he said, but, but that's great news because I'm starting Zapata. And I said, what? Uh, you know, choose your expletive uh, is Zapata. Yeah. And, um, and uh, he said, oh, quantum computing. I said, quantum computing? Like, like qubits? Like, he said, yeah, yeah, qubits. You know, my group, uh, uh, you know, down the hall from the people you were working with, I got this other group and they're doing quantum computing, quantum chemistry on actual quantum computers. I said, actual quantum computers? What are there, like yeah. two qubits in the world right now? Yeah, yeah really? Like, wow. What can you do? Wow, four bits of math. Well, I can put that on my pocket calculator. I can probably do it on my fingers too. <laughs> what, what, what are we going to do with this? No, 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 no. No, come to my lab tomorrow. Come to my lab. <laughs> You got you to hear about this. Like, like, no, IBM has this and these people have that. And, wow. you know, and, and there's this company called PsyQuantum that's, that's doing this really cool stuff with photonics. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. No, 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 no. There, there are more than two qubits out there. It's happening, man. We need software. And there's no software company out there. Man, this is a chance to, like, wow. become Microsoft for this new generation of computing. I'm like, well, are we getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? Yeah, really? Well, I but less than 10 hours later, I'm there at 8 o'clock in the morning at, at his lab because, you know, Alon doesn't take no for an answer. And, yeah, uh, wow. and there I was. Wow. And uh, he's there with his four uh, postdoc students. And, uh, and, and they, they told me about this stuff. They told me about what's happening. 
uh, that behind the scenes, you know, IBM's up to what, you know, 20, 20 qubits at the time. And they're, they're you, know, it's, you know, best thing behind the scenes computer, the um, one that's on, on, on online. Uh, and Google has this and they're going to have 50 soon and blah, blah, blah. And Rigetti's doing this. This started to sound very real and started to sound very much like the 70s, you know, with, with personal yeah. computers and, and uh-huh. microcomputers. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is this is really like my childhood deja vu all over again. This could be really cool. And yeah. by lunch over a burrito in uh, Harvard <laughs> right. Square, yeah, uh, they yeah. convinced me. And he said, really? "Yeah, now let's go back." And he goes back to the lab and he starts calling people like uh, IBM and saying, oh, "I want to introduce you to uh, uh, Christopher Savoy, the CEO of Zapata Computing." <laughs> wow, it didn't Holy exist cow. yet, mind you. <laughs> really, wow. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's how it that's how it actually happened, and uh, and off we went. Uh, we got some uh, seed funding from some of the benefactors of in his lab to get going and get the IP out, and then we got uh, seed funded by Pillar, um, a Boston-based uh, VC, and the engine, uh, which is uh, supported by MIT, uh, and that's where we we located was it was in the engine, and it was a great place uh, to be. Uh, to grow the company um, and to hire people because we're literally right between Harvard and, and MIT, right there in Central Square. Yeah. And, and talk about convenience to being near the people who are doing this stuff. It was really great and a really fantastic opportunity, really supported people. Uh, yeah. That's how we got going. Uh, wow. and, and from year one, we had engagements with you know Fortune 100 companies wow, um, to work on this stuff. So Christopher, what year was that? Like when... You know, this is all, we're still sort of early days, but like yeah, when, when you had that conversation with him. Yeah, we're 2017 in the fall at that point. Yeah, so um, it's, you know, it's been now four years. It's amazing to, to think back that, that it's been that long, but it's a lot has happened in, in four years, you know, um, a lot of uh, development. We've had the uh, supremacy experiment with Google. Uh, none of that was, was on, on the books yet uh, back then. Um, so there's, there's been a lot that's happening. And at that, at the time, uh, to even talk about the existence of side quantum, you needed an NDA. I mean, it was like really super secret, super stealth. Not a lot of people were aware that this was even really going to happen. I mean, there was only a little bit of popular press, I think about, you know, oh, wow, qubits eventually are going to, uh, break crypto and, and, and destroy Bitcoin, uh, was the only thing you heard about, uh, quantum in, 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 in the popular press. So. Um, but, you know, behind the scenes, all this stuff was actually happening um, and it was starting to come together. And uh, But to, to look back and, uh, at, at that time to now and, and see how much uh, development was really compressed into that you know, four-year time frame now, it, it, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty uh, breathtaking. Yeah, it is. I think breathtaking is a, is a great qualifier. Yeah, I mean, the rate and pace at which it's, you know, continuing to, to morph and evolve is very exciting. It is. I have to ask, where did the name come from? So I always like to query, certainly CEOs, you know, how did you come up with the name Zapata? I'm sure there's an interesting story behind that. Well, Alon, as you may know, um, uh, grew up in Mexico, in Mexico City. Uh, Hmm. So so, uh, we wanted to do something to give a kind of tribute to that, uh, the Latinx uh, uh, aspect of, of what we're doing. Uh, from him, and so we wanted to pick something from from Mexico, something from Mexican history, and we didn't want to do anything really kitschy or or, or trite or you know like 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 taco computing or whatever you know <laughs> uh, that or burrito computing. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, we wanted to be a revolutionary uh, company, and uh, um, uh, 
Emiliano Zapata was uh, one of the people who, uh, he was the person who promulgated the uh, the peasant revolution in, in Mexico and, and really was one of the key figures in the Mexico Mexican revolution. Um, and so we thought that, wow, that's a, a powerful and, and catchy name, uh, Zapata, um, that we could use. Um, and, and it kind of reflected some of what our goals are, which is really to revolutionize the way uh, computing is doing. Uh, what, what it's doing and how it's doing it. Yeah, great. You know, I just wanted to take a moment to go back to the engine for a second because I've, I've actually been at, to the engine in Cambridge. What an amazing spot that is. And for those of our listeners who don't know about it, uh, do you want to just give us a couple of sentences describing what it is so people are aware of what they do and the work that goes on there? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing uh, place. Uh, it's It's hard to describe and give it one name. You know, you don't want to call it a VC. It is. They have a fund. Uh, you don't want to, they certainly don't want to call it a, a like an incubation space. Like uh, it's not um, just, just a, a plug and play, for example, it's not that, but it is also that um, you can get space there. And, and the cool thing is when you're doing really deep tech stuff, they have, you know, uh, 3d printers and, and stuff like that, that you, and lab space for doing that kind of, you know, heavy duty, deep tech type of stuff, um, which I think is, is, is kind of different from the Silicon Valley thing uh, that tends to be more of the software, more of the other uh, side of things that's, that's, that doesn't involve, you know, hardware and needing to have machining capabilities and this kind of thing. So the engine really has uh, the best of both worlds where you can have, you know, office space, but you can also have access to some of this cool, really high tech and very expensive for a startup uh, technology um, to really probe on into doing deep tech stuff. Plus, they are a fund, uh, a very big fund uh, with some pretty good LPs uh, backing them. Uh, and so you, you kind of have a one-stop shop uh, to get started uh, in, in really deep tech efforts. And it's really cool also to be there in that community because you're, you're, you're literally working with the smartest, you know, PhD level entrepreneurs in the world uh, working on some of the coolest things. I mean, like fusion energy, um, Commonwealth Fusion uh, um, came out of the engine, for example. Uh, and, and some really cool biotech companies doing some really cool stuff, uh, some really deep tech uh, stuff as well. Uh, and, and then on the software side, doing stuff like quantum computing. That's, that's just not your typical run-of-the-mill, you know, social media take, take 10 uh, type of stuff. So really, the, the people that you interact with are, are really doing some of the most bleeding-edge, cutting-edge uh, things in, in the world. Uh, and, and they're also, as a fund, the really other cool thing is their, you know, their fund is uh, a focus on the, the longer horizon stuff because you can't just build something that doesn't exist yet over, you know, five years and exit. That's not going to happen. Uh, you know, for things like quantum computing that may take 10 years until it really hits its stride, you know, you need to have a, a, a funding mechanism that, that is patient in that way. That's waiting for that ten-year um, horizon, and and the engine's structured in a way to do that. They don't have to return their money in five years or seven years like a typical fund does. Yeah, terrific. Um, so, so it's a really cool place for a company like Zapata um, that's working on this really hard stuff. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I wanted to make sure our listeners are aware of, of that uh, that spot. It's a great, great organization. Christopher, in a recent blog post on the company website, you said that, and I quote. Quantum computing requires an immense amount of classical work that goes unnoticed, even though its presence looms large, like the proverbial elephant in the room that nobody acknowledges. And then to make your point, you reference a standard implementation of variational quantum eigensolvers, BQEs, which are a class of methods for using near-term quantum computers to solve certain chemical energy optimization problems. 
Can you please share more detail around what you mean by this? So, yeah, I mean, and, it, and it's the same for a chemistry problem as it is for a quantum machine learning problem. Uh, a lot of people in this industry are focused on, oh, the quantum circuit, piece that does the quantum math on the quantum computer, and maybe the necessary classical hardware and software to prepare that, that helps you actually prepare the state that you're going to measure, right? Um, so that piece. But in reality, uh, when you when you build the solution, you need to do, if you're going to use that algorithm on data, right, that data has to come from somewhere. Uh, and you have to clean that data, and you have to organize that data, and you have to calculate on that data what you're going to calculate on the, on the quantum computer. You have to pre-process, right? And the way you do that matters, okay? So you have to be quantumly aware when you're making those uh, calculations of what you're going to be calculating for. You, you know, if you're running some kind of uh, quantum machine learning algorithm uh, on, on your circuits, right, on the actual quantum hardware, you need to be aware of what you're doing there mathematically and what effect that has on how you do your pre-processing. So it's all kind of tied together. And that whole pre-processing piece, um, what classical, like in the VQE example, you have to do a lot of classical uh, computational work uh, before you decide what circuit you're going to run on, 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 on the quantum machine, right? And how you choose those classical algorithms and what classical algorithms you choose, like, for example, a grouping algorithm can be extremely expensive computationally, right, if you do it wrong. And it can give you the wrong answer if you do things wrong uh, on that side. You know, you, if you're not doing the classical part right, you you know, use your quantum machine to get caught into some local minimum. And that's not, that's not what you want. You want the right answer. Um, so all of this is kind of integrated into, into a system. And a lot of the people who are talking about quantum computing, quantum computing software stack, really are thinking from the qubits up to where you program the qubits. And they're not thinking about all the uh, data collation, ETL jobs, how you do that, how you uh, write your classical algorithm that's part of how you run your quantum algorithm. And, and, and that's a massive part of the equation. To give you an example, like in the VQ example, uh, in one of our implementations, it's, it's, it's 40 Docker containers, if you will, right? 40 pieces of software. 39 of those are classical. Uh, so one yeah. of them is quantum. Uh, and, and, and the same thing with, with, with quantum machine learning stuff that we've done. You know, there's a, most of what you're doing, most of the programming, what you're doing is before you get to run something on the quantum computer. It's not just the circuit selection, the circuit decompilation, and, you know, what, what onsets am I uh, running on this thing? It, it, it really is all that boring pre-processing classical stuff that, that, that matters to get this right. So let's so segues. Let's take a moment and talk about uh, your platform orchestra, right? So literature describes it as the only quantum software toolset for building and deploying quantum classical applications within the enterprise that account for the scale and complexity that others do not, especially for the classical elements of the solution, like you were describing. So can you share with our listeners how orchestra works? Sure. And maybe I can start with a little bit of the history. Um, yeah. We started out, like I said, okay, this Fortune 100 company wants to do this work. Um, so they want to run and, and test and benchmark all the classical algorithms they have to do a certain job and, and, and the quantum ones that are available and see which one's better. Okay. Uh, and they want to do it at scale. Okay. With their real data. Okay. Oh, what does that mean? Well, where is your data? Uh, well, some of it's here on this cloud and some of it's here on that cloud. And well, what are we going to use for computation? Well, uh, we have access to this cloud and that cloud. 
uh, and I, we have this on-prem thing for this piece that we have to run on HPC, uh, high-performance computing. Uh, okay, so we got a big mess. What are we going to do? Oh, uh, you know, and uh, normally it would be, okay, let's just kludge together our Jupyter notebook that does each of these things sequentially, except that we've got to do this repeatedly five times and compare it one to the other, apples to apples. Uh, so now we're going to have to do separate scripts to manage all the data that comes out of these experiments, to, to compare them together, to graph them and whatever. It's a major mess. And if you do that ad hoc every time, uh, you're going to make mistakes, right? You're not going to have repeatability. Uh, you're going to be like you are in most of the academic labs, like, hey, who wrote that piece over there? Do you have that? And, and plus, we're dealing with all these other frameworks we realized. We're like, oh, wow. We want to use uh, Rigetti. We're going to have to use their PyQuil. Okay, we want to use IBM and compare that. Oh, we got to write it in Qiskit. Uh, no interoperability here either. Oh, and on the on the uh, gradient descent we want to use, we got to write that in C to get it really you know tight or whatever. And and you know uh, well and all the, our our data analytics people they only speak Python. What are we going to do here, right? Um, so that was the problem. And, and you got to run all this in a hybrid cloud environment. What are you going to do? Oh, you know, you might say, well, let's just suck down all of that uh, regulated data from this company and put it on my cloud. Not going to happen, right? Um, so we, we realized, you know, me coming out of the, the Nissan background with, with enterprise architecture in my mind, it, it scared me that if we just did this as an ad hoc thing, it's never going to work. And we're never going to get anything that's deployable. Uh, and we're going to run into the same problem the AI companies had. They're like, well, I got a great model that works in my little lab here with my 50 records. Um, right. but, uh, uh, it won't, it won't yeah, scale. Can't go to production, can't scale. Yeah. So from the very beginning, we wanted to use software engineering to make sure we did the job right and, and made it so that um, this wouldn't be just a, a science experiment, that this would lead to deployable hybrid cloud solutions that, that, that could work in a real enterprise with regulated data and all the model explainability that you need to do. All the bad things we did in, in big data and, and AI, uh, we learned from. And, and I think a lot of companies really uh, think, okay, we're, we're doing quantum and it's a lot of physicists in, in the field. And they haven't thought about the, the software engineering and they haven't yet gotten to a production system. So they're not thinking about it. So they're like recreating all the problems that, that, that AI and ML uh, did as far as ML ops go and, and, and that kind of thing. It, yeah. it looks like, oh, wow, we're back in uh, late 90s again uh, as yeah. far as thinking about the, the software. So really what we did is put together a, a workflow system that really is a layer above whatever framework you're using to program the quantum computer or the classical stuff. So, you know, in some of our solutions, we can, you know, you see it for Fortran for that matter, um, and really abstract above the language uh, that's being used uh, to write this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Python. Uh, we use Python decorators to describe this and to write the workflows so that, uh, you know, kind of it has become the uh, the lingua, lingua franca of uh, of of computing now, yeah, uh, yeah. Data, data science. So, so we do use Python. We, we leverage it a lot, um, but we do it in a way that on the back end we can uh, run these things on multiple clouds, pull data from multiple clouds, uh, and run. You know, when we have to use an on-premise HPC stack, 
um, uh, that may not be able to be containerized for security reasons, right? And and do all of this stuff that 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 you need to do to, to engineer the whole solution. That's what Orchestra allows you to orchestrate. Yeah, taking the insight from the challenges with AI and, and even big data, and saying, well, let's not do that again. Let's uh, let's learn from that, create a new solution. That's fantastic. Zapata's pioneered a new development and deployment paradigm. You describe as existing at the intersection of quantum machine learning and optimization, calling it QEO, right? That enhances customers' current optimization schemes instead of just replacing them. Can you tell me more about that? What is QOE? Is QEO. It the QEO. 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 Quantum enhanced optimization. So we're in, enhancing uh, uh, the optimization uh, techniques that we would use in, in classical uh, settings. So uh, the really cool thing here, um, and we showed the basis for this uh, in an experiment that we did with INQ. You may have seen it with the handwriting recognition stuff, where we use the generative models, uh, modeling, and that kind of thing to uh, to enhance a a, uh, a a machine learning technique by by adding a quantum distribution to that. As a sampler, so um, the idea here is that um, we can take any solver, okay, any classical solver, uh, and by looking at the outputs of that solver, so you know, traders have a solver already to go do uh, algorithmic trading, right? And they look at a portfolio and they say, "Oh, this is a good one. That's a bad one." They have some cost function, um, some way of determining whether they got a good answer or a bad answer. Right. Same thing when you're looking at, you know, chemistry or, or other things. Do I have a good answer or a bad answer? Here's a good one. Here's a bad one. They can basically determine that based on, you know, some kind of mathematical function. So what we can do, though, using machine learning is look at those outputs and say, OK, give me your good answers. And OK, without understanding how those good answers came about mathematically, we can use machine learning to learn what the distribution of the probability distribution of those answers is. Right. Makes sense. And so once you do that uh, and you use this kind of thing where you're modeling that output and understanding what a good answer is, uh, now you can go from that same distribution, sample from that distribution, and generate new answers that are even better than the ones you've guessed. So without really getting into the mechanics of how, what, where, why, uh, we can use machine learning. Uh, to uh, increase the capabilities of optimization engines that already exist. So that's why we were calling this quantum enhanced optimization. Yeah, great. And so it kind of gets rid of this dichotomy between, you know, your optimization. The other way to do optimization is to, you know, and, and the promise of quantum computers when they become fault-tolerant at, at some point is that, well, you can look at every single possible answer potentially, right? Um, we can't yet do that with the quantum computers we have today. So this kind of meets us halfway and, and gives us a useful solution um, before we get to that regime. Yeah, um, terrific. Yeah, so uh, it, it allows us to you know, provide today using today's faulty, not so perfect uh, quantum devices, uh, but they can still do stuff that is better than a, 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 a classical computer for certain limited uh, areas. And, and this is one of them. Yeah, no, great. Thanks for explaining that. Your website talks about a topic I'm not familiar with, and maybe our listeners will be, but it says that Zapata believes advantage will come first from quantum sampling. So can you share with our audience your point of view on how that will happen and and tied to the role of generative modeling as part of this approach? So yep. quantum sampling. Yeah, and this is kind of tied to the the uh, QEO uh, solution answer uh, that I just yeah. gave. You know, uh, it, it's tied to that uh, technology. This is the basis for it. So uh, basically, a, a quantum computer um, has the capability with these uh, qubits to generate uh, quantum 
like distributions. These distributions, mm-hmm. I mean, technically would say that it, uh, uh, it violates the Bell inequality is one way of testing that, whether it's actually quantum-like in, in, in the distribution, right? Yeah. Um, that would be one, one way of knowing that your distributions sometimes are, are, are quantum or not, right? Uh, so, yeah. um, you know, th- so these, these statistical distributions, right. Um, these, uh, for lack of a better term, mm. they're oversimplified. Yeah. these, these probability curves, right. Um, uh, multidimensional probability distributions, right. That you can generate on a quantum computer because of, uh, the, the, the complexity of what you can do with entanglement and, and superposition. Um, allow you to have these very rich distributions uh, that a classical computer would have a hard time producing. It would take forever to produce them. And, and, and the intuition for this, you know, you can see in the, uh, the, the Google experiment, right? They, using 53 qubits, um, the team there was able to show that they could do random sampling, right? Random distributions of things, right? in a way that was hard to reproduce on a classical computer. And depending on whose estimate you believe, you know, it's, uh, you know, thousands of years or, 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 or three days, right, um, right. but it's still a lot more than 300 seconds, which is what it took them to do that. Right. Yeah. And, and so we can use that uh, capability um, to do sampling over these distributions. Um, you need some source of randomity uh of of this this these distributions to do uh generative modeling uh and 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 to generate you know uh, a model of say we did it for handwriting digits but you could do it for faces for deep faking stuff right yeah. um, and and that's all dependent on the distribution you're able to um input into the into the system right and yeah, no, that makes sense Yep. And so we're able to create these distributions that are really hard to do on a classical computer. So we can use that to and we've shown uh, produce better distributions, so or better fit distributions for the data than you can do on a classical computer, and we found this consistently. And so this means that we'll be able to have an advantage uh, in how we do machine learning uh, on, on 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 the near term. Now, as in the optimization problem that I described, uh, eventually we'll be able to use a quantum computer to just look at all the answers and find the best ones, right? Uh, maybe someday, uh, but that may be a decade or more away from, from now. Um, but we can use this technique to take advantage of the, these, uh, this, this quantumness, if you will, uh, on the shorter term to do stuff that really matters for production uh, applications in, in machine learning. Yeah. So questions that are, you know, it's always top of mind in, in these conversations about quantum and where it's going and when it'll be viable is, uh, are there certain problem types that you're addressing for clients? And can you share with our listeners you know, any detail, maybe on current engagements, verticals where you're gaining traction, uh, solutions that are generating benefit, improving productivity, heaven forbid it pointing to attributable revenue? I mean, uh, I don't want you to give away any competitive advantage. Or well, I can't, and I won't. Uh, yeah, so yeah, no, I know. It's not going to work. Can you, can you white label or anonymize? <laughs> yeah, because we, we care about, you know, you have to understand, you know, particularly in, in, in the quantum space, uh, the stuff that we're doing are, you know, by, by their nature, the hardest problems that big industries want to solve. You know, these are not cheap computers, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and it's like the early days of computers. You, you don't, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, doing doing little games or, or right. whatever. 
uh, yeah. or, or social media applications or whatever. This is like you know really really hard stuff. Like yeah. uh, how do I you know d- design my airplane wings better by getting better fluid dynamics uh, calculations? You know, yeah. or how do I optimize you know my supply chain? Well, I'm sure Amazon doesn't want to tell you how they're optimizing their supply chain. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. or how I'm going to do better uh, downstream uh, chemistry optimizations if I'm mm-hmm. an oil and gas company, right? Yeah, um, these are all really, really important, really, really proprietary things. Yeah, and and as you're seeing, you know, from these examples that I'm giving here, they're pretty broad too. You know, this mm-hmm. is a horizontal technology. I wish I could tell you, oh yeah, the killer app for quantum computing is X. Right. Well, really, the killer uh, app is mathematics. Yeah, that's a great way to. I'm going to interrupt. That's a great way to describe it. Horizontal perspective, kind of right. Because I mean, to your point, optimization can be applied in a range of settings, right? So every industry, yeah, every industry, you know, has something. And one of our customers that we've we've talked about uh, publicly, so I can mention it. You know, with 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 Coca Cola, we did we did optimization of their uh, vending machine uh, networks. Mm-hmm. And that that is a, a really big problem for them, and it's a big piece of their revenue. That, yeah. you know, uh, that's billions of dollars, right? Uh, yeah. But it may sound like, wow, is that a quantum computing problem? Why would you go to a software uh, company uh, for for quantum computing? No, no, they have problems. Everyone has a problem. Yeah. Uh, these big companies in their supply yeah. chains, in their you know. Uh, demand chain side, you know, customer yeah, analytics, uh, manufacturing. I mean, on and on and on. On and on. So yeah, it's not like oh yeah, the first killer app is going to be in this industry. It's going to be this application. Right. It, it, it isn't really that way. Um, yeah. It's big problems across industries. Right. That's, and my sense is that about it, you know. Oh. Yeah. Well, and my sense is there'll be learnings and best practices that hopefully will be applicable across different settings it'll be vertical agnostic to some degree right that we can leverage in different settings absolutely you know humans want to you know categorize things and put things in pigeonholes so we say oh this is an optimization problem oh well this is a machine learning problem but as you've seen in you know today's talk you know uh you know you can use machine learning to do optimization and there are optimization routines that you use to do your machine learning so you know it's it's math at the end of the day yeah yeah. uh, yeah exactly so, Christopher, shifting gears, what's on is sort of the segue is what's on the horizon for Zapata? What's next in growing the company? Um, maybe share info on other strategic partnerships in place or in the works. Uh, what's, yep. uh, what's the we, roadmap look we like? We continue to grow, uh, and uh, we have a lot of engagements uh, with Fortune 100 companies, uh, um, with governments, uh, this kind of a thing. Uh, and so we're always looking for uh, uh, scientists, uh, who do quantum information science, but also, um, uh, software engineers who, who want to get involved in, in this area. Um, so we are, um, continuing to grow. We're up to over 70 now, uh, starting from, you know, just a handful of people just four years ago. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we do have, uh, you know, uh, a large group, probably industry-wide, one of the larger groups of, uh, of quantum information scientists in one room, uh, working on these problems. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we have, uh, a lot of industry partnerships with all, as you know, the, the hardware makers, uh, to be able to integrate, um, our work, uh, with them. And, uh, you'll be seeing, uh, some new announcements of some of our, uh, capabilities coming up in, in, in the coming months. Great. Uh, thank further you. advances in, in the machine learning stuff, particularly, we're really excited about the quantum machine learning cool. uh, aspects. A question I always feel I have to ask, and I know where your solution is in a different space but people are listeners are always curious about software developer kits right what, what do you what do you plan to work with what do you support questions about interoperability 
Can you just speak to that? Yeah, I think this is tied to my earlier answer about, you know, what what we do and what level of abstraction we work on. You know, we, we have a workflow system, Orchestra, that allows you to utilize any of those SDKs that are out there. Like, you know, you, you can use Qiskit. Um, you can use uh, any of these uh, frameworks, uh, classical frameworks and, and other libraries that are, that are available. And uh, really what we're doing is trying to make those the most useful and the most deployable in, in real world environments for the enterprise. Um, so uh, really what we're about is, you know, the, a layer above that, an abstraction layer above, okay, I'm doing this uh, routine in Kiskin and, and choosing this on sites and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you, you still uh, need to have that code or, or write that code, uh, but we give you the flexibility to write that in a workflow that's repeatable. Um, and now I can run it a gazillion times uh, on you know many many hours of compute in five different ways, uh, and have that all collated together and 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 usable. So it's more about managing uh, the process and managing um, these frameworks uh, is what we're doing. So yeah, I mean uh, there are a lot of SDKs out there uh, for doing a lot of that work, and and our goal is to be able to to integrate uh, substantially all of those uh, into our. Uh, capabilities on the workflow side, and yeah. So we're we're more into the let's 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 deploy this stuff. You know, we're already building for the future where you know this is going to be a part of actual production infrastructure, and and that may seem like a little bit well, we're not there yet. We're just doing R and D, yeah. Um, but what you don't want is you know box yourself in a corner by doing R and D that's not as we've said uh, uh, capable of being deployed. So you know, better off to start now. Uh, working in a system that's going to allow you to do what we call quantum ops, which is like AML ops, uh, and actually get this stuff running at scale in, in, in an actual production system. So, Christopher, I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Zapata in recruiting, right, and finding talent. I know some, because it's, you know, bleeding-edge technology, uh, I, I know some companies in this space are, you know, have affiliations with universities because they're, you know, it's a pipeline of say particle physicists or whatever, but certainly as companies grow in quantum, they're going to need other kinds of talent. I think of Catherine Londrigan, right? Your CMO. I mean, you've got a, a brilliant woman who's running marketing at the top of that function. Um, that, you know, that's different than, uh, that's a new set of skills, if you will. Right. So how do you guys go about recruiting for your company? And, how do you see it trending in terms of the kind of talent you're going to need as the portfolio and the client roster evolve? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if I, you want to get involved in quantum, you don't necessarily have to be a quantum scientist. You know, there are a lot of other things. Even on the, the, the engineering side, like I said, you need cybersecurity people. You need uh, people who are, you know, doing ops stuff, uh, DevOps types of people. Uh, uh, and, and, and all of the other ancillary functions, uh, you would call them ancillary, but it's really important. People is a big piece. So our HR department is currently, uh, hiring right now. Uh, and, and that's a huge, uh, issue, uh, for us is to get people who are really good at retaining people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, so if you're an HR professional and you want to get into quantum, there's, there's a route for marketing for, you know, trying to market quantum is hard. Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and it's cool, but it's it's a really hard thing. So we need the most talented uh, people that we can get globally uh, to work on this because uh, nobody knows the right answers yet. Um, so uh, that's what makes it challenging um, from a recruitment perspective. But, you know, our philosophy has been, you know, to hire globally the best people. And really, uh, you know, the bar's high. I'll, I'll say it's a pato. We, we've only hired A++ players. Um, and it's a, it's a high bar to get into because, you know, we have, you know, really high, 
uh, expectations, but there is room for uh, A plus players in in other areas that a company needs to run. Uh, because we're building a company, we're building a business here, uh, which is a little different from building just a lab that's that's doing that's tinkering with uh, with qubits. Right. So, Christopher, we've come to the end of our conversation. It's been fantastic. I really have enjoyed talking with you. I always like to close my podcast by asking my guest. Uh, to wax philosophic, if you will. You know, what's your take on the tremendous potential impact that quantum computing might have on how we live and work and maybe your your perspective on when we'll see the first real impacts of the technology more broadly? Yeah, uh, well, it's a great question. Um, and I've been one to say that, you know, every every technology CEO and, and, and founder says that their technology is going to change the world, right? And, and that's kind of boring, you know, when they're selling a dating app and they think it's going to really change the world. Well, it may do that for for some people individually. <laughs> yeah, right. But <laughs> this is one where where it really uh it really is like that. Uh it, you know, computers have changed the world and now we're doing computing in a way that has never been done before. Um that really changes uh the game uh exponentially. Uh literally, quite literally. Yeah. Um and uh where have human where have computers really affected humans? Well, just about every area of human activity. You know, yeah. think about it. So all the big problems that we care about, you know, um, security, yes, starting with that, but but food security, right? Carbon reduction, so this planet doesn't uh, uh, become unlivable. Um, you know, healthcare. We've seen in the pandemic. Wow, what what would have been? What would it have been like if we were able to predict this thing and how it's going to work and what its you know uh, effects on on the economy would be if we could be predictive of that or predictive of how vaccine rollout should happen, right? And, and supply chain there, we had problems there. Well, yeah, you know, what if we could have done that better um, using computation? So all of those kind of areas that really, you know, move the big pieces on the chessboard, right? Um, I think, you know, quantum computing is going to affect. Now, timeframes from that, you know, I'm a scientist, so I'm loath to say it's going to happen next year, blah, 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 this year, or any kind of time frame. really. It's not next year um, where it's really going to hit its stride. It's, it's more, you know, I would, I would say in the five to 10 year timeframe, we're going to see real serious business impacts right um yeah. so you might say well then why are you why are you bothering now as a, as a company why would people fund this well five to ten years is a blink of the eye i mean we're talking today about you know four years ago and where we are today um if this stuff is going to hit in the five to ten year time frame and it's that exponential in what it can do and i do believe that even if it's you know 10 to 15 years does it really matter if this is going to really you know make or break your business um uh make or break your your country you know, uh, I, you know, geopolitically. So yeah. I, I think this is really important stuff and, and it's happening at a time frame that's going to happen, you know, near term in our lifetimes. Uh, so uh, yeah. we all should get pretty serious about it. So that yeah. philosophically, it's Great. really important. And uh, if you're not involved in it at, at some level, at least understanding it and, and getting uh, accustomed and, and kind of tr trying to read the tea leaves of the future, uh, you're going to be behind the eight ball on this. Yeah. Well, Christopher, thank you very much. I'm going to uh, point people to your website, right? Zapataccomputing.com to learn more about you and the company. Uh, social media, there's a LinkedIn group that you guys have. Also encourage listeners to follow Zapata on Twitter, and there's a YouTube channel. And as Christopher mentioned, they're hiring. So there's a whole list of opportunities on the website. I'm going to read a partial list. Platform engineers, quantum software engineers, quantum ops engineers, quantum application scientists, and researchers, plus opportunities on the business side. So, Christopher Savoy, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation and hope to see you in person at some point. 
Absolutely. Hopefully soon. Later. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our Quantum Tech Pod. My guest today was Christopher Savoy, CEO and founder of Zapata Computing. Encourage you to share this with your friends, amplify using social media, and we'll talk to you on the next one. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.